For the scripture reading this afternoon, we turn to the book of Lamentations. Right after the book of Jeremiah, these are the Lamentations of Jeremiah. After um, and during uh, the downfall and destruction of Jerusalem, when King Nebuchadnezzar and his army marched against Jerusalem and by the hand of the Lord uh, destroyed it. That's the context here. The lamentations. The, the word lamentations, lament, children, uh, these are the grievings or the sorrowings of lamentations of Jeremiah, inspired, of course, by the Holy Spirit. Let's read Lamentations chapter 3, verses 1 through 36. Lamentations chapter 3. I am the man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me is he turned. He turneth his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. He hath builded against me, encompassed me, surrounded me with gall and travail. He hath set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. He hath hedged me about that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. Also when I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. He hath enclosed my ways with hewn stone. He hath made my paths crooked. He was unto me as a bear lying in wait, and as a lion in secret places. He hath turned aside my ways and pulled me in pieces. He hath made me desolate. He hath bent his bow and set me as a mark for the arrow. He hath caused the arrows of his quiver to enter into my reins, my, my belly, my intestines. I was a derision to all my people and their song all the day. And even as Jeremiah speaks, we can hear uh, Jesus speaking too, can't we? He hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones. He hath covered me with ashes. And thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forgot prosperity. And I said, My strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. My soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to my mind. And I think the best interpretation there is that being humbled. He is humbled. His soul is humbled. And this being humbled, he recalls to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. 
great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust, if so be there may be hope. He giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him. He is filled full with reproach. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he doth not afflict willingly. And that word willingly means from the heart. For he doth not afflict from the heart, nor grieve the children of men. To crush under his feet all the prisoners of the earth, to turn aside the right of a man before the face of the Most High, to subvert a man in his cause, the Lord approveth not. So far we read God's holy and infallible word. The text is verses 22 and 23. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this afternoon we stand once again at the end of another year. The question comes to us at the end of the year, how shall we mark this occasion? How should we close out the year? And how should we do this knowing full well that there are many different experiences that we as individuals have gone through in this past year? Everyone here has their own experience of how the past year has gone. For some of us, this year was filled with great joy. There were some significant celebrations, some birthday anniversaries or wedding anniversaries and other joyous occasions. But for some of us, this year was also filled with great trial and disappointment. For some of us, the year was perhaps filled with loss, the loss of a loved one. Or the year was filled with maybe the same old trials and struggles that we have been enduring now for the last few years, or even for many years. And now here this afternoon, we come to the end of another year. We gather as a body in the house of the Lord. How shall we mark the occasion? Well, this is how we will mark the occasion this afternoon. First, worshiping the Lord. That's always right, whatever circumstance. It is always right to worship the Lord. And then this afternoon, by declaring, as we worship the Lord, great is thy faithfulness. We shall mark the occasion this afternoon 
by giving God our praise, giving God our thanks, and also by confessing, as the psalmist says, God is always good. Life is hard. Life has its share of pain and joy. But through it all, our covenant Jehovah God is always good. Great is his faithfulness. That's our theme for the preaching this afternoon. Great is thy faithfulness. And we look at three things under that theme. First, we look at an amazing wonder. Second, an unfailing reason. And third, an encouraging reality. It is a very beautiful passage before us this afternoon, a well-known passage. And I think we might be tempted to go right ahead to the comforting parts of this passage, to go right to that idea of, of the Lord's mercies, found in verse 22, or to go to that word compassions and see what that means in verse 22, or, or go right to verse 23. His mercies are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. But what we need to focus on, first of all, as we work through this passage, is the two words that you find right in the middle of verse 22. Not consumed. I prepared this sermon a while ago, but I still distinctly remember that when I was preparing this sermon, I also had to fight the temptation to go treat those words mercies and compassions, and I had to learn as I worked through the passage that I needed to deal first with those words not consumed. If the passage is going to, to have the value to us that it ought to have, we first need to dwell on those words not consumed. That's the amazing wonder. That's why this first point of the sermon is what it is, the amazing wonder. That's the astonishing spectacle that Jeremiah has before him in his mind's eye in the text. God's people are not consumed. The church has not been consumed. What is the situation before Jeremiah in the passage? Well, it's pretty clear from even just the portion that we read this afternoon. Jeremiah is the man that has seen affliction by the rod of God's wrath. That's how verse 1 starts out. Jeremiah has experienced a year of untold misery and sorrow. There's a reason why he's called the weeping prophet. Because it's not even just one year that he experienced untold sorrow and grief, but it's been years. His heart has been broken into a thousand pieces. And here in the text, Jeremiah is sitting, as it were, on the ruins of the beloved city of God, the church. He is grief-stricken, and he is overwhelmed with sorrow because of the downfall of Jerusalem, the downfall of the church of his day. And yet here in the text, Jeremiah recollects himself. He brings him back, himself back, or by God's grace, by his spirit. He brings himself back to the perspective of the true reality that is before him. And he declares, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. That's what he's expressing here. Not consumed. That is, not utterly destroyed not entirely extinguished, not entirely cast out by the Lord, not consumed, that is, not entirely swallowed up by the nations of the world, not entirely having lost 
our spiritual identity, not consumed. When the reality is, from all earthly points of view, they should have been consumed. Consumed they should have been, first of all, when you consider all the forces that were against them. Step back, take a, take a look at Israel and Judah's history from the big picture, from the very beginning of their nation, uh, of their existence as a peculiar people. God's people were under attack. They were under attack when Pharaoh was driving after them through the Red Sea, trying to destroy them. They were under attack when they were walking through the wilderness wanderings and the Amalekites were attacking them from behind in the wilderness wanderings and they didn't have a, a sword or a shield to use. Even, even before they were delivered from Egypt, they were under attack. They were in slavery. Their, their baby boys were being tossed, drowned in the Nile River. Their backs were being ripped open by the lashings that their cruel masters were raining down on them. And then finally, when they made it through the wilderness wanderings and they came close to the the promised land, there was Balak and Balaam trying to curse them. All throughout their history, Israel was besieged by the nations around them, harassed and afflicted, hated by their neighbors. What a history! Yet not consumed. And now in Jeremiah's own day, King Nebuchadnezzar has marched up against the city of Jerusalem. And not once but not twice, but three times he has marched against the city, and the third time he utterly destroys it. The walls are broken down. The temple is razed to the ground. All the, the people's houses are utterly destroyed. There is nothing left standing. And yet you look at God's people, and the people had not been utterly destroyed. Even there, you see them walking to Babylon, you see a remnant being preserved. A remnant being taken into captivity, just as Jeremiah prophesied. And God has his purposes with that too. And there shouldn't be a remnant, but there was. God's people had not been consumed when they should have been. Well, consumed they should have been not only when you see the forces that were against them from an earthly point of view, but second of all, and especially when you consider the sins that God's people had committed. And here you look at the big picture again, and, and what's the story of, of God's people? But falling into sin again and again. God's people are characterized as a stiff-necked and rebellious people. A people full of murmuring and complacency. A people who just wanted to be like the nations around them. Now it was despising Moses, their, their God-appointed leaders, saying, you take too much upon yourselves. Now it was complaining about the bread from heaven, that, that angel's food that God supplied them faithfully every day. Now it was longing for the fish and the melons and the leeks and the onions of Egypt, wanting to be back under that slavery than to be the freeborn children of God. Now it was pursuing the women of Moab, and on and on it went. And they were chastened by the Lord, but never consumed. Plagues were brought upon them from the Lord, yet not entirely destroyed. Oftentimes cast into the furnace of affliction, but not consumed. All throughout their history, the devil himself was pursuing them. 
Throughout their history, the the forces of hell had been marshaled against them time and time again. There they came with the temptations and the snares. And again and again, God's people fell into the traps and fell into the temptations through their own lusts and sinful natures. And in Jeremiah's day, Jeremiah had seen what it was coming to. No nation was as wicked as God's own people, the church. They violated God's covenant to the extreme. Even the other nations were content worshiping their own idol gods. But Israel, God's people, they wanted to commit whoredoms with whatever gods came across their path. They had caused their own children to pass through the fire, offering their children to the idol gods in the furnace. The priests, the men of the Lord committing lewd acts at the temple. The false prophets prophesying lies. The true prophets being put to death. Isaiah, maybe you know the tradition, it's not in the Bible, but the the tradition is that Isaiah himself was cut in half from top to bottom by wicked King Manasseh. And now after that, God raises up King Nebuchadnezzar. And yet God's people, God's people, had not been utterly destroyed. There is still the remnant, a remnant that didn't deserve to be any more preserved than anyone else. There doesn't deserve to be any remnant, but there still was. God's people had not been consumed when they should have been. In the end, those are the reflections of the weeping prophet here in Lamentations chapter 3. As Jeremiah collects himself and and he begins to see everything in another light. Yes, he himself has experienced much affliction God's people. He knows God's people in the nation. They have experienced much affliction. The remnant has gone through much as the entire nation of Judah has been punished. But it's a wonder. It's an amazing wonder that the church of God had not been entirely consumed and annihilated. I said a few moments ago that in preparing for this sermon, I was not appreciating those two words as I should have been as I prepared this sermon. But, but we need to appreciate those words. And we need to appreciate those words also as they apply to us as we stand at the end of another year. Not consumed. Not exterminated. Not swallowed up. Utterly destroyed or cast away. Despite all those forces that have raged against the church and her people. Not consumed, despite how the devil has tried to have his way with us and our children over and over again, to destroy our marriages, to destroy the communion of the saints, to destroy the covenant children, to bring us into despair and a sense of hopelessness. Not consumed, despite how the kingdom of darkness bitterly hates the truth and hates the children of the kingdom of heaven. And the devil knows how to conceal it, to put on a face, but it's true. Not consumed. And then you consider our own sins and what we've done this past year. And and there too we can say, not consumed. How grievous have my sins been this past year? Or the sins that you've committed? Sins that we never wanted to commit when we committed when we began this year, and yet maybe sins that we ended up committing again and again. 
my rude comments, my uncharitable judging, my gossiping tongue, my lack of self-control, my impatience, my murmuring and complaining. I think of Israel in the wilderness, a stiff-necked and rebellious people. My pride, my, my simple lack of trusting in the Lord when he's never given me an occasion not to trust him fully. My ingratitude, my complacency, my, my own idolatry, bowing down to the idol of self, and yet, I come to the end of the year and I am not consumed. Has God not utterly forsaken you? Has God not utterly destroyed you in his holy anger? Or, or just given you entirely over to your pet sins? Given you over to the devices of the devil? I take inventory of this past year and and I reflect and I ask, can I honestly say that I deserve a place among God's people? Well, maybe we say, let's not be so pessimistic. And I can appreciate that. Maybe, hopefully, this year has been a year of spiritual growth and spiritual prosperity. Maybe I've grown very much in my personal walk with the Lord. It's been a joy a thrilling joy to walk with the Lord, and it has been a joy to be living more and more for him, trusting in him. I, I love my place among the saints. What a blessing this year has been in the midst of God's people. I'm deeply thankful for this past year. The bonds of Christian fellowship that have been made or that have been strengthened. And yes, there's been challenges, but even through those challenges, I experience a, a holy delight as I, as maybe we see the Lord guiding us, leading us through these challenges to, to cling more tightly to him, being drawn more closely under the shadow of his wing. But my point is this. We still must confess, if it had been left to ourselves, we would not even have stood for a moment this past year. If God had simply given us to our own devices... And, and let us into temptation, when we understand that language right, do not lead us into temptation. If he would simply take his Holy Spirit away from us, we would not have made it a single day. The temptations would have been too strong. The temptations that we overcame and we delighted in the victory would, would have been too strong for us. Satan would have ripped us to pieces. The trials would have utterly consumed us. Maybe right now I wouldn't be living with any concern for the glory of God. Without any godly purpose at all, I'd be focused on myself. And maybe I'd be walking in gross, shameful sins and it wouldn't be bothering my conscience at all. And that could be true for, for the whole church, so that there would be nothing left of the church. No church. No church on the earth. We would all have gone our own way. And there would be no unity at all. Really, if God had dealt with his church on earth in mere justice this past year, mere justice, we would be consumed. That's true of me. It's true of you. When we honestly see the reality of things. And I say that that's honestly hard for us to appreciate. 
to actually recognize that and see that for what it is. But that's really the posture, that's really the perspective of Jeremiah in the passage before us. It's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. May the Lord cause us to recognize and experience in our own souls what's being said here in the passage. We should have been consumed. And the point is, here we still are. Here you are. Here I am. Still desiring in our hearts to praise the Lord. Still desiring to do what is pleasing in His eyes. Not only that, but, but even growing. Another year of growth. Still confessing the truths of God's word. In, in doctrine and, and, and in lifestyle. Striving, at least, in both, in both parts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not consumed. That's the amazing wonder. Not consumed. And what shall we give as the explanation? What, what, what's the reason for this reality that the church, that you and I personally are not consumed? It is the reason for our continued existence as God's people to be attributed somehow to us? Is it because we've been so valiant this past year? Or stood tall on the rock of our own power and our own self-will? Well, we already covered that, didn't we? It's not because of us. What does the passage say? It is of the Lord's mercies. Because his compassions fail not. That's the unfailing reason. Through and through, it's his mercy. It's his compassions. And so at the end of the year, part of the, what we're doing is let's rejoice in the mercies of the Lord. Let's rejoice and reflect on his compassions for another year. Let's look at those words, mercy, mercies and compassions. In verse 22, they're very similar, but they can be distinguished from each other. The word mercy in the passage refers to how God deals with his people. It refers to his activity. It emphasizes activity. So it refers to God's activity of helping those who are in a miserable condition. Mercy is God's activity of reaching down to us, poor, helpless sinners, unworthy, and raising us from that pit of misery and corruption and, and darkness, raising us up and making us partakers of his fellowship and his riches. And then the word mercies refers to God's continual activity of doing that, and of, of holding us, keeping us up in his hand, in the hollow of his hand, never forsaking us, never abandoning us, uh, so that we fall back into utter misery. That's the word mercy. And now to make a distinction between that word and the word compassions, the word compassions in the text refers to God's feelings, his attitude that he has towards us. So the word mercy is his activity, of pulling us up out of the pit. And the word compassions refers to the feelings or the affections that lie behind that activity. The word compassions refers to the feeling of pity that God takes upon his people that moves him to the activity of showing mercy. Now you look at verse 22 and you see how that makes sense. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. The Lord shows us mercy every day again. He reaches us he reaches down to us and he takes us poor sinners and he lifts us up and he leads us in the way that we should go. 
He, he forgives our sins each day. He, he gives us peace in our souls. And He continues to provide us grace and strength for every step of the way. Never leaving us, never abandoning us. Because we are His covenant people. He always shows mercy. His mercy is everlasting. Each day, He is that loving, protecting, faithful Father. And then the second half of the verse. Because, because his compassions fail not. God always shows us mercy because God always has a heart of pity towards us. He always shows us mercy because he has feelings for us. Feelings of love. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. And why don't God, God's compassions ever fail? Because his compassions fail not. Why? Because his compassions are rooted in himself. The explanation for his love and pity towards us is rooted in his own being. They're not, they're not because of who we are. It's not conditioned because of who we are of ourselves or what we make of ourselves. The, the whole context of Jeremiah's situation would speak against that. Judah should have been consumed. They were full of sin. But they weren't consumed because God in himself has a disposition of pity and love towards his people. And his love for them is unchanging. For he is unchanging. As he has been, he forever will be. And that's why he keeps showing mercy. He keeps showing mercy because he keeps having compassion towards his people. That's why God sent Jesus to the cross. In the cross of Jesus Christ. It was rooted in love. He sent Jesus to the cross in his love. And, and then he sent Jesus so that he could lay the groundwork. So that he could reach down and take us out of our miserable condition. He, he provided that foundation of righteousness. A perfect standing before God. So that having that laid, he could now, on the basis of Jesus' righteousness, pluck us out of our misery. And cause us to taste and see his goodness and his riches. And, and why did he send Jesus? Because this is what he delights in. This is who God is. This is the reality of who we are as his people. That the maker of heaven and earth, the eternal God, loves you with an everlasting love. That's, that's the unfailing reason. And now we need to take those things and apply them. We need to apply them to Jeremiah's day. And we must see that in Jeremiah's day, God was showing mercy. That's what Jeremiah is meditating on in this passage. First of all, from this idea, we should be consumed. And God has shown us mercy after mercy after mercy. Time and again, God has reached down and he has delivered us from our miserable circumstances. We don't deserve anything but judgment or being forsaken. But again, God reaches down and he takes us by the hand and he walks with us. Because his compassions fail not. His love for his people never diminishes. He loves them with an everlasting love. And that's why Jeremiah says, Great is thy faithfulness. God is so faithful to his people. In his love he made promises. Promises always to be their God. And time and time, again, the people plunge themselves into sin and misery, even disown God, turn their back from God. And yet God himself keeps his covenant. He never goes back on the word that he has spoken to his people. I will be your God and you will be my people. 
I am the Lord, I am Jehovah, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Micah 3 verse, Malachi 3 verse 6. And what Jeremiah can even see here in this chapter as he sits among the ruins of Jerusalem is this. Even in these painful, agonizing circumstances, it's not God's purpose to destroy us, to forsake us, and, and condemn us. But even in these circumstances, our God is faithful, and his purpose is to bless us and guide us. What was the situation before the Babylonian captivity? What was the situation? The land was full of idolatry. And just like before the flood, if things continued the way that they were going, the church, the true church, would have been completely lost in the midst of the wickedness and idolatry that was taking over the nation. And now God does this radical work, raising up Nebuchadnezzar to bring a remnant into Babylon so that through 70 years, he might restore his people once again. And he might continue in his work of bringing the promised seed of the woman. He has not utterly consumed them. In fact, in all these things, he is working to restore them and to bless them and fulfill his promises. This idea comes out especially in verses 32 and 33. But though he caused grief, though he causes grief, Yet he will have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies, for he doth not afflict willingly. He, he, does not, he does not take a delight in the affliction itself. He does not afflict from the heart, but he knows the good that it will accomplish. And it's, it's with that in mind that he grieves his people. That's, that's what Jeremiah is meditating on. And, and he's applying that to himself and the church in his day. And now we need to do the same thing for ourselves, too, today. Why are we not consumed? Why does God not forsake us? Because God has feelings of love towards us. And when he sees us in misery and in sin, even as he sees us in our sin, he has pity on us. A peculiar kind of pity. A pity to, to deliver us from that sin. And the reality is, even as he chastens us and afflicts us, he's doing it in his love. Now, the only way we can say that is by faith. But that's exactly what we must say by faith. He does not afflict us willingly. But he does it in his mercy because of his feelings of pity towards us. And that's, that's very real. That only can be received by faith, but that's also comforting. And that's what we need to apply also with respect to our sins, how God chastens us with respect to our sins, but then we also have to apply that with everything that takes place, with everything that has gone on this past year. And, and, and even, you take the big picture, everything that takes place throughout the course of my life, it's his mercy. I think that becomes very clear when maybe at the end of the year you do reminisce over different time periods in your life. And, and maybe you become nostalgic or sentimental. You start thinking about the days gone by. This past week, we had a get-together, and, and you start looking through family albums 
or, or photo albums, and, and you are reminded of, of what's happened in the past. And then you come across this passage, and it reminds us through every period of life, it, it was God's mercy. It, it's there when you drive through the town where you grew up, or you drive by your old high school, or your old elementary school, or, or maybe the old church building you went to when you were a kid, and you get sentimental. And you look at those different buildings, and, and you think of all the memories, and what goes through your mind? What, what does go through your mind as you see how God is leading you through life? I think what goes through our minds is this. Here I see the mercies of God. There I see the mercies of God. Fond memories, good times, maybe hard times, sad times. But when I look at it all, I look at my upbringing, all these things that have shaped me, this is what I see. Through it all, God is merciful and faithful. Think of childhood memories, the friends you had. God was shaping it all to lead you and to guide you to where you are now in his church, calling upon his name yet today. His mercy was mingled through it all. I look back at things in my own life. Or maybe you think of hard times that you wouldn't wish on anyone else. And it's a grief that, that you go through these things. And God understands that grief. He has compassion. He's a merciful and faithful high priest. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And yet he, he chooses to lead us through these ways. He's ordained it, and then he guides us through these things because of his mercy. It, it drove me to God for help. It, it drove me to cling tighter to the promises the Lord used it to keep me from different sins that I might otherwise have been exposed to and that I would not have been able to, to stand against. And so these things were hard for me, but it was good for me. It was a mercy. And that's the reality, even when we look back on this past year. It was a mercy. His mercies are new every day. You can go back every day and you can say his mercies were new every day. Each day was a day I didn't deserve to be able to call on the name of the Lord through my Savior, Jesus Christ. Each day was a day when I didn't deserve to have God as my companion and friend. But he walked with me every day. Right? Even when I didn't realize he was walking with me. You know that poem, right? Two sets of footprints walking in the sand, and then there's just one set. And then you say, Lord, why weren't you walking with me then? Well, it's then that he was carrying us. It was all a mercy. Remember the first point of the sermon. It's of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Why not? Because his compassions never fail. Because great is his faithfulness. His feelings of love towards you... It, that's human language, right? His feelings, his, his heart of love towards you never diminishes. His affections never change. He loves you with an eternal love. Jesus never changes, right? Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forevermore. There is no shadow of turning with him. It, it was God's love, his eternal unchanging love that, sent him, that, that moved him to send his only begotten son to die on the cross. 2,000 years ago, to be born into poverty under the, the curse of the law. And that same love that moved him to do that, that ordained him to do that, 
is the same love that guides us and leads us day by day. His compassions fail not. The idea there, too, of the text is this. They never come to an end. They never run out. They never are exhausted. God never stops looking upon you with pity, right? He is the everlasting Father. And when you reminisce about 2023 and and everything that takes place, or that has taken place, that's how we need to look at it. By faith, in the end, it was, we can say, it was all a mercy. The, The flesh cries against it. The flesh wars against the spirit. But the spirit knows it to be true. For the child of God, for me, who belongs to Jesus Christ, it was a mercy. That's the unfailing reason. To confirm that idea, we look briefly at what Jeremiah writes in verse 23. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And that's the encouraging reality. His compassions are new every morning. They never fail. They never run out. They are new every morning. When you wake up tomorrow morning, there is a fresh store of God's love and pity waiting for you. Just as there was this morning, just as there was yesterday morning, just as there was every morning this past year. Were you aware of it? Were you conscious of it through this past year? Were you conscious of it this morning? That there was a fresh supply of God's mercy and pity towards you, even when we weren't paying attention. His mercies were new, and he was always faithful. And the encouraging reality is this, going forward, it's it's not going to change. There are new mercies awaiting you. New mercies. You don't have to live tomorrow with yesterday's mercies. Yesterday's mercies were not meant to carry tomorrow's burdens. Whatever circumstances you face tomorrow, realize because God is your faithful God, you will have the mercies you need to face those circumstances when they come. Yesterday's mercies were for yesterday's burdens. Today's mercies are for today's burdens, and tomorrow's mercies will be perfectly suited for tomorrow's burdens. And tomorrow's mercies won't be given to us a day early. We need to wait upon God. We need to wait till tomorrow for those mercies, for tomorrow's burdens. I can't help but think of Israel in the wilderness with the manna, a picture of living daily, trusting in the Lord for the supplies we need each day, not just physically, but spiritually. We live day by day trusting that for each day, God gives us the mercy we need. And when tomorrow comes, the mercies that I need for tomorrow will greet me as I begin the day. And why can we trust? Well, because God is faithful. He is Jehovah. His word is true, and he never changes. And we, we can trust in him because this has been our experience this whole year through. Again, has it not? Right? This We recognize this life is not my life with my purposes to be fulfilled, my goals to be achieved for what I want my life to look at like. But it belongs to the Lord. He has his purposes, and he is faithful even as he fulfills those purposes with me. His mercies were new every day. He was 
just as faithful as he always is. His love to us in Jesus never changes. And that's my future also. And he knows how to bring glory to his name, just as he wants. And for the new man in me, that's what satisfies my heart. At the end of the day, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done. As we come to the close of another year, as we anticipate the beginning of a new year, let us praise the Lord. Let us hallow his name and, and thank him for his faithfulness this past year. He is always good. He is always true to his word. I want to end the sermon with reading some lyrics from a song that I learned during my time in, his, in Wisconsin. And I can't help but think of these lyrics at the end of the year. And I just want to share them with you. Day by day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. And then the third stanza, Help me then in every tribulation, so to trust thy promises, O Lord, that I lose not faith's sweet consolation offered me within thy holy word. Help me, Lord, when toil and trouble meeting, ere ever to take as from a father's hand, one by one the days, the moments fleeting, till with Christ the Lord I stand. Great is his faithfulness. To him be the praise at the end of this year. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father Jehovah, we do praise thee for thy goodness to us. This is what our spirits want and delight in. And we pray by thy spirit to give us more of this, to exalt thy faithfulness, to see thy mercies, to experience thy compassion towards us, and to bless and honor thy name as thou dost fulfill thy purposes and lead us day by day, till with Christ the Lord we stand. In his name we pray. Amen.